Well, good morning, Fairfax Bible Church. How y'all feeling? Good, 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 good. Well, it's, excuse me, it's an honor and a joy uh, to be here before you this morning. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Matthew, uh, just for the warm welcome. Uh, Thank you for the elders of this church and you, the congregation, uh, for having me out this morning. Again, uh, it's a a privilege to, to be with family, as Pastor Matthew said. We're family. Amen. It's a joy to bring God's word before God's people, our family. Uh, And thank you as a whole church just for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, We really appreciate you guys' prayers uh, and your financial support. Uh, We couldn't do what we do apart from you guys' support and others' support. And so we we really appreciate you guys uh, as you give generously and faithfully uh, to help support the the work that we uh, are a part of in Congress Heights. Amen. Amen, amen. So a little bit about myself, as he's already mentioned. So my name is Joshua Rolak, and I am married to my beautiful wife, Jessica, of eight years. We have a son, LJ. He is five, and then we have a sweet baby girl coming in September. Uh, By God's grace, amen. We can cheer for that, amen. Amen. Again, again. Um, Amen. And uh, as he's already mentioned, I get the privilege and the joy to pastor Congress Heights Community Church, which is a two-year-old church uh, that was planted in Congress Heights, which is Southeast D.C. And so we are in Ward 8, which is Southeast D.C. And uh, man, it's, it's, it's a joy, it's a privilege that the Lord has started a new gospel work in a context of great need. Uh, a little bit about Congress Heights is that Congress Heights is a predominantly African-American neighborhood. Uh, and the way I like to explain it or share about our neighborhood is that, uh, yeah, with two words, beauty and brokenness. So in Congress Heights, there is a lot of beauty. Beauty in the sense of every person that lives in Congress Heights is the image bearer, just like us. Amen? An uh, image bearer. Uh, there are families, whole families in Congress Heights. Also at the same time, there are broken families in, in Congress Heights. Uh, there is... Yeah, other folks there who are seeking to be on mission. Uh, when we came into the neighborhood, Young Life was, was already seeking to do some good gospel work in schools. The very school we partnered with uh, called Baloo High School, they were there seeking to be on mission for the Lord. Um, and so just a lot of beauty and things along those lines. But then at the same time, a lot of brokenness. As he was just sharing, uh, we get alerts often. And this is in no way me trying to glorify this. This is wicked, it's sinful. Uh, we pray that God would remove this, Amen. But shootings, violence happens on a regular in the context where we live. Um, I kid you not, since we've lived in the neighborhood, we've heard gunshots probably almost every night. That's not, yeah, that's not an understatement. Probably almost every night where we've heard gunshots, people shooting. Um, And drug activity is is very prevalent in our neighborhood. Uh, We actually go to a context, or in our neighborhood, we go to a park uh, that's right around the corner from where we live, and we share the gospel the second and fourth Sunday of the month. And so we go out there. This is an area where it's heavily populated uh, with, with folks who are strung out on drugs, sadly, uh, and, you know, alcoholism and things along those lines. But we go there on the second and fourth Sunday before our service at 2.30 uh, to proclaim the gospel. And so we do continue to covet your prayers as we're out seeking to be on mission uh, for the Lord. Um, and again, this is, as he was just sharing, yeah, we are in a distressed uh, a neglected neighborhood, and by God's grace, he has raised us up. And we need more churches to be planted east of the river in contexts like ours. So would you continue to pray for that uh, and seek the Lord in that? God has really been kind and 
he's been really gracious to us over these two years, and uh, he's been faithful to us. And so now let's turn to uh, the faithful word of our faithful God. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians 3.10, as that's where we're going to be. So Ephesians 3.10. And as you turn there, I want to, to ask a question. What is God's purpose for the church? What is God's purpose for the church? As I was praying over the last few weeks or so on where the Lord would have us this morning uh, as I would preach, Ephesians 3.10, I just kept coming to mind. And as I thought about it more and think about just our culture's view of the church, I became very concerned as many in our culture don't think that there's any purpose with the church, in the church. Uh, I even think about how some in the church feel the same way. Maybe even some of you this morning have come to the church and you may not think that there's much purpose in what we do. Why are we gathering here this morning? Why is a church like ours gathering this afternoon? What purpose is it in that? So again, maybe some of you here don't seem yeah, too excited about church, or it's maybe mad low on your priorities as a church, or you may even think that church is boring. That may be you, and the list can go on and on and on. Wherever you fall on that category or those categories, I want to show you this morning and encourage us all this morning from God's word about what God thinks about his church. And what God says about his church and what his purpose for the church is. But before we dive in, let me, let me ask God for his help again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you again for this morning. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, uh, just, yeah, for your fresh grace and new mercies that, yeah, are towards us. Uh, that have, yeah, that we've awakened to this morning. God, thank you for the privilege it is to come and worship you freely. Uh, to, yeah, sing the word, to pray the word, to read the word, to now hear your word preached. And Lord, I just pray uh, that you would speak. Speak, and may we listen, and may we obey. May your word do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. And God, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease. Be glorified, be magnified, Jesus. That is why we're here, to magnify Jesus. And so, God, I just pray that you would do that in our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians 3.10 reads as follows. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Something that we do in our church, we say, this is God's word, and you would say amen. So this is God's word. Amen. Amen. So a little context on the book of Ephesians is that the apostle Paul is the author, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus where Timothy, who is one of Paul's protégés, someone that he put in a headlock and discipled, uh, is the pastor there. Uh, in the first three chapters of this book, Paul has been uh, yeah, dropping beautiful doctrine or teachings about who God is 
and his glorious salvation. Then the last three chapters are about how to live out those glorious truths. That's the way the book is broken down. And so when we get to our text in chapter 3, Paul explains the mystery of the gospel that God had revealed to him and that he, Paul, has shared with the church at Ephesus. So in verse 6, Paul tells us what that mystery is. If you look there with me, verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What this means is, amen, what this means is at one point, Gentiles, which is pretty much all of us, non-Jews, didn't have the same access to God in the same way that the Jews did. This is what Paul spent time teasing out in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Listen to verses 12 through 13. I would encourage you to read that whole section, but verses 12 through 13, it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was all of us. In the world, no hope without God. But now, and these are some of the most encouraging words in Scripture, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. That we were all at one time, if you are a Christian, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from Christ. You didn't want Christ. You didn't desire, I didn't desire Christ. But he made himself known to us. He made us alive in Christ Jesus We were once far off. Now we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. What Jesus did was so dope. What he did was so amazing. It was so glorious. He made a way for all people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and races to experience salvation in him. I mean, as I just look out in the crowd, the diversity that's here, what a, what, a, what a beautiful picture. Praise the Lord of what God has done and is doing through this church and many churches. Bringing people from all necks of the woods together, making us one. He made us one in him and one with one another. So if I had to summarize Ephesians 3.10, if you're taking notes, it may go something like this. God's wisdom in salvation has been made known to us and is being made known through us to the heavenly beings. I'll say that one more time. God's wisdom in salvation has been made known to us and is being made known through us, the church, to the heavenly beings. So this main idea broken down will serve as our two points this morning. So here they are. Point number one, God's wisdom and salvation made known to us. Number two, God's wisdom and salvation made known through us to the heavenly beings. Let's look at the first one together. God's wisdom and salvation made known to 
us. Look back with me to Ephesians 3.10. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So this implies that before he made his wisdom known to the heavenly beings, that he first made it known to human beings, to his people, to the church. So what is the church? Well, it's the people of God. It's the people of God, those who have saving faith solely in Jesus and what Jesus has done alone, who's believing upon that, who's resting and relying upon that, and then who gather regularly like we are doing this morning to worship him and to rightly practice the biblical ordinances, so the Lord's Supper and baptism. That is the church, and that's what the Lord has done, and this is what he is using to make his wisdom known. So God made his manifold wisdom known to his people. Uh, This wisdom that's being mentioned here is multifaceted or has a a rich variety and is multicolored, as two other translations put it. Essentially, what this means is God's wisdom has many layers to it has many layers to it or many sides to it. It's like if I were to hold up a diamond in the light right now. You'll see this beautiful array of colors just ricocheting off the light. If I were to just turn it, showing its many sides and intricacies of the diamond at each turn. That's what you would see if I'm just shining this diamond. But in a greater sense, so it is with God's Manifold wisdom. At each turn, there's glory to behold. There's goodness to be held. Just gloriousness in the wisdom of the manifold wisdom of our God. And this is exactly what Paul gets at in Romans 11, verse 33. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. This is God's wisdom. We know this to be true, don't we? We we, we know this to be true in general, that God's ways are higher than our ways, that his wisdom is unending and unlimited, whereas ours is limited. But God, in his kindness, when we are in need of wisdom, what does he say? He says, just ask him, and he'll give it to us. So James 1.5, what does it say? It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So it's the, the type of wisdom when you're wondering, Uh, As we just celebrated uh, the wonderful high school students who are graduating, praise the Lord. Can we just give a round of applause for them again? Amen. Amen. It's this type of wisdom for the wonderful graduates who are wondering what college to attend or what you're going to do next after this. A lot of you guys have already settled that, but other things, jobs, so forth and so forth. It's that type of wisdom that you are in need of that God says, hey, ask me and I'll give it to you. You need wisdom? You need to figure out where you're going to live, dorm, home situation, whatever that might be. 
Ask me and I will give it to you. Or for any of us in the room who are looking for jobs or pursuing jobs, what job to pursue? It's that type of wisdom that God wants to provide to you as you call out to him, as you ask for wisdom. Or if there's a big family decision that some of the families are needing to make here. It's that type of wisdom that God is like, hey, look to me. Lean on me. I can give you the wisdom for that matter. Here's how <clears throat> the dictionary defines it. So the Oxford Dictionary uh, defines wisdom. It says, the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. The quality of being wise. So this is what wisdom is. So God's manifold wisdom definitely has this side to it. It definitely has this, this more personal kind of practical side to it. But in the context of this passage, Paul is unveiling something more specific, something even more greater. Wisdom about God's salvation through his son. This is what he's wanting to reveal. This is what Paul has been teasing out from the beginning of chapter 3, that in God's wisdom and grace, he revealed his son who made both Jews and Gentiles one body through the gospel. This is what he's been teasing out. So you put this all together, and essentially what we learn is that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is God's manifold wisdom that's been made known to us. Paul says this exact thing in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 24. Here's what it says. It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and guess what? The wisdom of God. This is who Jesus is. That, yeah, for some this is foolishness, but God says this is the wisdom the, the, the folly of what we preach week in and week out is wisdom. Wisdom to be heeded upon. Wisdom to know. Wisdom to believe. Wisdom to trust. So this is the good news that every Christian here <clears throat> and around the world believed and was granted saving faith in Jesus and brought into the church and made a family in the midst of a family. And this is the same message that can save anyone here who does not yet know Jesus. And it's this message, it's this message about God, that God created the heavens and the earth, created everything in it and everyone in it. He created all of us, human beings, after his likeness, in his image. But we are fallen. We have sinned against God. We were made to worship him, 
but we've instead worshiped ourselves and worshiped everyone else and everything else. And because of our false worship, God will judge us in our sin. And if he were to judge us in our sin, we would all be found guilty and separated from him for all of eternity, cast away from his presence for all of eternity in hell. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes, sent from the Father, and lives a perfect, sinless life and dies the death on the cross that you and I deserve for our sin. For Jesus had no sin for which he had to die for, but it was all our sin that he went to the cross willingly and willfully to bore it for us in his body. Where he hung, bled, and died and was buried in a grave. But the grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. He defeated all of his enemies and was raised from the dead on the third day, offering life to all who would turn from their sin and turn to him by faith, turning from the things that God hates, the sin, and turning to Jesus, putting all of your eggs in his basket, trusting in what he has done alone. And the Bible says once you do that, you can be saved. You can be forgiven, cleansed of all of your sin, and made right with God, and one day be with God for all of eternity. So if you're here and you have never put your trust in Christ, we want to hold that out to you this morning as it's being held out every week here. We want to hold that out to you. If you would like to learn more about that, talk to the elders after the service to learn more about what that might mean for you to start your journey with the Lord. Or talk to the Christian friend that you're sitting beside or the Christian friend that invited you to learn more about what it might mean for you to start a relationship with Jesus. May today be the day of salvation for you. Don't harden your heart. God is full of love and grace and mercy towards you. And for us Christians, may we continue to believe upon this message as our only hope, as our only strength. This is the only message of life, and we need to feast upon it daily. As John Piper says, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. We never outgrow it, Christian. So may we continue to believe upon it and cherish it. Amen? Amen. So that's number one, God's wisdom in salvation made known to us. Here's number two, God's wisdom in salvation made known through us to the heavenly beings. Look back with me in Ephesians 3.10. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Again, we find God's mission statement here as the church. Here's, if you want to know what the purpose of the church is, if you want to know, like I used to work at the YMCA many years ago, and we had a mission statement. I'm sure some of you guys have worked, currently work for different organizations that have a mission statement. Here's God's mission statement here for the church. God has a purpose for his church. And that purpose is what? To display his manifold wisdom in salvation 
to his people. And now, as we see, through his people, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What's a beautiful picture of this is that every church is a walking billboard of God's glorious manifold wisdom. Scholars believe that the rulers and authorities here refer to good and bad heavenly beings. But as one scholar puts it, he says, the apostles particularly concern is obviously with hostile forces. I mean, Paul even spends time later in the book of Ephesians telling the church how to go to battle with these hostile forces. You might remember, so Ephesians 6.10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then what does he do after that? He then details God's weaponry and armor of choice in the verses to follow putting on the breastplate of righteousness and so forth and so forth, the sword of the spirit. But these angels and the demonic forces see our salvation from a different vantage point than us as believers. They are like those you might, I was like this, uh, you may have been like this, but they're like these window shoppers, right? When you, when you go and you look at particular items in the store that you are wanting to have, but you don't have the money to buy. They're like the window shoppers looking into this salvation that they will never be able to possess. This is what Peter gets at, the apostle Peter, when he says this in 1 Peter 1.12, he says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Dear Christian, do you realize the salvation that you and I possess? It's a glorious salvation. Something that the angels are trying to peek around the corner to see. But they won't be able to see it from the same vantage point as us. You know what that should do to you and to me? That should humble you. It should humble me that God, in his grace, would see fit to make himself known to us. We don't deserve him. We don't deserve this. This is what the angels long to see. They long to know the salvation you and I have, church. They long to see it. The demonic forces, on the other hand, see God's manifold wisdom as a threat. <clears throat> Them seeing what God has done in and through the church is a sign of their demise. They look on with fear and trembling. Satan and his demonic forces have already been defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And the existence of the church, guess what, tells them, it announces to them that their reign and rule is coming to a full stop once and for all. Whereas the kingdom of God is unending, their kingdom is ending once and for all. One day when the Lord Jesus returns and does away completely with Satan, sin, and the world. This echoes what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, doesn't it? It says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is good news. (laughs) This is wonderful news, saints, that God is doing it big with the church. There is more going on than our eyes can see. If you're a part of the church, there's more. It's big. More than what our eyes can see. Here's how one scholar puts it. He says, you are part of a cosmic sermon that is being preached to the spiritual rulers and authorities. This is what you, I, we are a part of. A cosmic sermon that is being proclaimed to the heavenly beings. He continues to say, this wisdom is so great that God uses it to proclaim to the heavenly beings. His grace and glory are displayed in a diverse people, a many-colored fellowship, a multicultural and multi-ethnic fellowship who have been called, redeemed, forgiven, made alive, and united in Christ. The angelic hosts look on at the reconciling work of Christ, which is the model for the reconciling of the universe when everything in heaven and earth will be brought together in him. It's a big deal. Nothing like what the Lord is doing in his church and through his church. This is no small thing that God has done and is doing. There's nothing boring about this. If you find it that it seems that this is out of touch for you or not something you're interested in, my dear friend, you're in danger. If this is something that you just, this doesn't move your spirit. This is something that doesn't get you excited. My dear friend, you may be in danger. You may not have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And that his goodness and his grace is on display through his church. But you can. You can. You are not out of reach. There is no person anywhere that has done anything that is too far from God's reach. So again, we want to hold out this good news to you. To believe upon Christ. Receive him by faith. Get excited about what the Lord is doing and want to use you to be a part of in doing. Amen? So toward that end, I just want to offer two essential ways to apply this as we'll come to a close. Again, non-Christian, I can't stress it enough. I plead with you, I implore with you that you should plead with God now. Don't walk out of here the same. We pray that when you've come in, you may have come in one way, 
And that's for all of us as Christians. We may have came in one way, but we pray that as we leave, we've walked out, changed, encouraged, equipped, strengthened. We pray that especially for you, non-Christian, that you would walk out a convert today. So plead with him that he may open your eyes to see his wondrous self in all this glory and all this splendor. And if you're here and you are a Christian, but maybe you've lost that fire. You may have lost that fire for the church's purpose in your life. You may have been one of those people that I was expressing earlier in the sermon who, you know, like, it's, 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 I, I come, I, I do this, you know, but there are other things that might be more important to me. There are other things that are, when it comes to the church, you know, the church is a little, a couple down notches on my list of importance. But I want to encourage you to, to do the same, to plead with God, that he might give you a fresher understanding and a, a glorious perspective of his church and what he has called you in and what he has called you to do and be a part of in the church. So I want to encourage you to do the same, that God may give you a higher view of his church. And may that be the case for all of us. May we look to the Lord in what he is doing, what he is continuing to do, that the church is, is the church through the gospel is God's plan for the world. This is God's plan. This is God's strategy. See, many come to know him by faith. There's no small thing. This is a big deal. And that he will call us as Christians to be a part of that. So in conclusion, as the worship team comes back up, God's view of his church is high. And our view as Christians are part of his church should also be high. God has revealed his glorious salvation to his people and he displays his salvation through his people to the heavenly beings. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the privilege and the honor yeah, to yeah, relish in your word this morning to glean from your word this morning about your plan for the church, which is no small thing, which is a big deal. And I pray, God, that wherever we may fall on the spectrum, that you will meet us where we're at. Maybe some of us this morning have come in with church hurt. That's a real thing. That folks have been hurt by the church God, you use the church to heal hurting people. And so God, I pray that for those who may be hurt by the church, that they wouldn't run from the church, but that they would run to the church and ultimately run to you who is open arms, ready to welcome them. God, I pray for any of us in the room who hasn't put their faith in you. God, I pray, God, that you would soften their heart, that you would, yeah, give them a new heart the heart of stone that you will replace it with a heart of flesh and that you would put your spirit in them and cause them to walk in your ways this morning may today be the day of salvation for them 
And God, I pray for all of us as Christians that we would yet relish in this wondrous truth of the church and what you are doing through the church and specifically through Fairfax Bible Church. Thank you for Fairfax Bible Church. Thank you for this church here in this context being a beacon of hope to all. I pray, God, that you would be faithful to add daily to those that are being saved here. Pray that you would continue to encourage and strengthen this church. Continue to grant wisdom and grace to the elders of this church and every leader a part of this church for the days ahead and the months and years ahead as you would tarry, that you would use this church to make many, many, many more disciples here and in the ends of the earth, we pray. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.